Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. I am your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. And whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you are in the right place. My guest this episode is a mental performance coach with the goal of helping athletes grow into the best version of themselves and optimize their performance in a sustainable way. A former college runner at Duke University with a master's degree in psychology from Pepperdine, as well as being a certified personal trainer. Please welcome to the Elevate podcast, Chloe Molesky. We are great excited to be here good excited to have you um growwithclo.com i think is your website right very catchy love it uh chloe but uh what led you to that and kind of uh i guess to share with our listeners kind of uh, a little bit about yourself and what led you into the, the work you do helping others grow yeah uh i'll try to keep it as brief as possible uh, but I'm from a small town in New Hampshire. I grew up with three brothers and I've actually been reflecting on this quite a bit lately because, you know, one of our PCA principles about like, not comparing ourselves with others. And this is a very slippery slope, right? Because sports is comparing yourself with others, but there's a delicate balance. And I was trying to, I was just doing some self-reflection on that, where that came from. Because when I came home, my parents were never like, did you beat that girl? I played all the sports, but I was always talking to myself like that. Did you beat that girl? Yeah. Um, And I think it's because I had three brothers. So I was always just trying to compete with them and be as athletic as them. Um, And that led me to playing lots of sports. uh, And I ran track in college. I ran at Duke and I was on a scholarship there. And I got there and I choked. I had a terrible career. By the time I got there, I think I was really burned out. I wasn't used to having loads of other of my teammates beat me all the time. You know, I got that big confidence boost every practice in high school, every every meet in high school. You know, I was just ahead of the pack. I was in the paper every week and then getting to college and everyone's really fast. Everyone's really smart. I wasn't ready for it. And I, uh, I got three stress fractures and I truly believe it was just because I was so stressed. My mm-hmm. identity was crumbling in front of me and I didn't really have any coping skills to know how to deal with it. Um, and I'm sure, you know, first time being exposed to partying and college and on mm-hmm. your own, that probably didn't help, mm-hmm. but it was a stressful environment. Uh, so after college, I didn't have a great career. Like I said, And it's interesting. I noticed that a lot of my teammates that were very fast and were all American and this and that, they don't really run anymore. But I intentionally was like, I'm going to keep running. I'm going to try and figure out what happened because I I did love running at one point. So where did it go wrong? So I actually have never taken more than maybe like three days off from training. I still train like I'm a pro athlete, even though um, I'm not, I mean, I, I've had a few sponsorships here and there and I have, <laughs> I have a fitness comp this weekend where I could yeah. win eight grand. So that's legit. Right. That's, that's, that's pr- it's more, more pro than most non-pro. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I still, I continued to train and figure out what happened. I got into fit, personal training. 
uh, strength training was something that was really missing. I was a distance runner and I had a lot of body image stuff because it was like, I grew up with three brothers and these like scrawny distance runners for me didn't resonate as athlete. And so I didn't really want to look like that, but I also felt like an outlier and I felt really big and overweight compared to my teammates. So it was this really confusing time in my mind. Cause I was like, I don't really want to look like that, but they're telling me I need to look like that to run fast. And people would come up to me in the airport and be like, Oh, you must run the hundred or be a thrower. And I, meanwhile, I run the mile or 5k. Yeah. And so that messed with my head a lot. So no surprise. I got into sports psychology. <laughs> I graduated from Duke. I worked in corporate world. I started working for this health coaching company because I was like, wow, coach, I've always had a coach. What would that look like for adults and health coaching and trying to keep people well? And then that led me to get a master's in psychology at Pepperdine. And then I've recently, the past two years, I've been working for Dr. Hastings, who's the sports psychologist for the LA Rams. So she's been my supervisor. And then I do a lot of contracting work. I do stuff for PCA. I do stuff for this company called Train the Mind. So I do a lot of workshops. I love doing workshops with groups of student athletes, coaches, parents, and then I have I have about 20 one-on-one clients that I'm doing sports psych work with. And then a few clients that I'm doing more like holistic health stuff sure. because it's all connected, as we know. Yeah. yeah. But that's um, I think short story, long story mm-hmm. of how I got here. Yeah. And she's uh with that, you know, psychological master she's got, she's also a certified personal trainer. So when she talks about wellness, she's really good at, you know bringing, you know, that mind body, um, and kind of one of the things, uh, you know, doing a little research and looking at your website, one of the things that stuck out to me, um, and knowing a little bit about you, it was something I'd love to kind of chat about is, uh, you know, I think you even kind of touched on it, maybe, you know, maybe indirectly with your own college career of, you know, some sustainability issues, right? Like if we're not happy, how do we train and, and these things, and I'm not feeling, rewarded every practice like I used to. And, you know, you talk about creating, you know, and helping clients and and athletes, you know, do it in a sustainable way. Can you, can you break that down a little bit and tell us why that's important? Because we tend to live in a, a more is better kind of, you know, philosophy that shoved down at at athletes. Um, But talk about why that sustainability is important to us. Yeah. And it's interesting because there's such a delicate balance. So many of the athletes, what makes them great is that like, I, you know, the Kobe mindset, I'm at the gym before everyone, this and that. And so, yeah, obviously it's different for each athlete. The key point is, is it serving them? And are they seeing the big picture? Does this align with the long-term goal? So for instance, if I'm working with a high school athlete and we talk about, you know, one exercise I do a lot, and I got this from another mental performance coach, Ray Santiago, where I'll have them come in. I'll be like, okay, draw a building that represents how big you want your career to be. Like, do you want, and they'll draw a building and then I'll ask them, I'll be like, where's the foundation. And most of them don't draw foundation. And it's like, you know, the tallest buildings have the deepest foundations and the mental skills part, the sports psych work, this is all so we can go longer. So we can be a taller, stronger building and you don't see results overnight. It's the long game. It's like when you see, a musician that all of a sudden has a number one hit and you're like, where'd they come from? But they had 30 mixtapes. We just weren't listening. Right. Right. Right? And so I'll talk a lot, like we're building a foundation because you said your goal is that you want to go to the NFL, 
right? So we have a long way to go between now and then. (laughs) How do we pace ourselves? How do we, how do we? And so a lot of that's recovery. Like I will advocate for recovery more than anything else because that's such a missing piece, especially in our fast paced culture. You know, I don't think we evolved to be going at the pace we're going right now in any way to perform. So um, that was something that was never talked about when I was in high school recovery or like no one ta- I don't even think I heard the word sustainable when I was oh I, I so one non-sustainable factor I remember in my college I you know had gotten a bar in the or gotten a job in the off season bouncing at a bar oh. and uh it was during winter conditioning and uh I was there working on a Friday night we had Saturday morning winter conditioning at like 5 30 in the morning 6 a.m and it was that kind of, you know, run endurance till you puke kind of coaching style, right? And that morning conditioning. And my position coach and another coach walked in to play golden tea. And they were like, you work here on the night before? And I was like, yeah. And I would close the bar at 2.30, 3 a.m., go sleep for three hours, wake up. And I would dust all my teammates in the running the next morning still. And I took it as a badge of honor, right? I'm like, I'm so tough and I don't even need sleep. What's wrong with you guys? But so bad for me. And mm-hmm. You know, when it comes to like, I just, I see a lot of college athletes that kind of like, I can do it on low sleep, which sometimes maybe you need to study, perform, but that shouldn't be the goal. (laughs) Um, Right. Can can you talk a little bit about just the importance of of, of sleep and, you know, are there things that you do to kind of help wind down your brain so that you can kind of sleep and recover better? Yeah. Um, a few things there. So first of all, good, a good night routine, uh, or a good morning routine starts with the night routine. So again, like three hours before bed, let's not eat two hours before let's have no screens one hour before nothing at all work related or something that stimulates you mentally. So, um, that's kind of the protocol I I go by. Three, two, one. Yeah, three, two, one. And I wear really nerdy blue light glasses and not the cheap $5 ones, the real ones, because they'll market the the heck out of those. But light is actually a very powerful tool that we, you know, we're exposed to so much blue light, but there's different shades of blue light. We get all into the science (laughs) of that. It's a whole other story, but it's very important to me. So those are on as soon as the sun goes down, I have those on because I'm still looking at screens, especially now when it's getting darker earlier. Sure. But one thing I wanted to add about your, your experience is a lot of it is, I mean, at that time, did you love football? Oh yeah. Love. Okay. So I think that that changed it. Cause I had a couple teammates that were similar. They would rage. I didn't party very hard in college. I mean, it's all relative, I guess, but I had a few teammates that partied much harder and also ran a lot faster, but their relationship with running was very different. Mine was just a really bad I I worked at the bar. I wouldn't drink those nights. Okay. I, dr- I drank other nights in college, right. I'll be honest. But yeah, those nights I worked, I wasn't drinking till two and three and doing that. But right. running on E, you know? Yeah. Like, but I think you can run on E to, for like within reason, not for a long period of time, if you still have the passion and love for the sport. Right. Um. So that's the first question I'll ask every one of my athletes that comes in. Like, do you still love this? Because- yeah. I also have most of the time it's their parents getting them in the door. So I have to make sure I'm building a relationship with them and understanding, is this your parents love and wanting you to get to the next level or is it you? Yeah. Talk about that. Cause I've seen this 
yeah, with some athletes that I've experienced coaching and the athlete confides stuff they don't have not to the parent, but the parent keeps putting the pressure. Have you ever broached that kind of, Hey, I really need to tell the parent this. And also, but I feel like without betraying the athlete, like, yeah, I think it's, have you ever had to, to kind of do that? Or do you bring the parent into the process to help them understand better? So the first session I'll have the parent come in and I say, I ask for their perspective on what's going on and for them to share. Usually I've already had an intake call with them, but I'll have them share it in front of their child too. So we're all on the same page. And then in front of the parent, I will say, okay, anything that your student athlete shares with me, I'm not going to share with you unless they give me permission. This is their safe space to explore these things. And if I do want to share something with you, I'm going to ask them first. But also like, again, you know, this with like workshops that we do for PCA, we need the parents on board for some things. Like if I'm trying to get him to have a growth mindset and then he goes home and his mom's like, you suck at free throws. That's not going to support everything we're working on. So within reason, I'll share some of the skills we're we're doing so they can drill them in at home, um, be the second goal parent. (laughs) Yeah. No, yeah, no, it's important. If you guys haven't caught on, we both do workshops for Positive Coaching Alliance. Um, so some of those references there. Um, and I think that's, you know, an important thing, I think, especially when it comes to, I think I hear it from coaches and teams and some schools I work with occasionally. It's like the coach does a great job. The kids are doing a great job, but they're getting worn down with the offset of the parents that are you know, have the higher unreasonable expectations. They don't know what's going on at practice. They don't know maybe their, their, their kids love is at, um, and that's hard. Um, and so, especially uh, like, I'll have like maybe a quarter of my cases that come and the in-person ones that I do in Southern California, they end up like their parents are signing up to work with a sports psychology consultant And I end up telling them they need their kid to take a break, which is the last thing the parent wants to hear. Right. They're like, oh, I want you to get my my kid mentally tough. And I'm like, your kid needs some rest. They're on an edge of burnout. They have five coaches and they're 10 years old. Like this is too much. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's interesting. I just saw there there is a study that came out that um, one of the. I guess reasons we've seen a, a rise in mental disorders is the lack of free play. Oh yeah. And, and so like you look and you kind of think about it and I kind of read just like the, uh, you know, a quick review of the study and it's like, well, that's why kids have this phone is free time, free play. Like no one's telling me what to do. No one's telling me what to go, what to say. And it's like, they've lost it in their other world. So it's, that's become free play is, is the little device. And it's like, yeah, it kind of made, so- made a lot of sense. <laughs> It's interesting. Um, so I didn't mention this, but I'm actually attending Arizona State right now. I'm getting licensed in social work as well okay. uh, because I really want to have that strong, holistic, again, sustainable. I was really considering getting my doctorate in psychology, but for me, social work rang true with my values because it's looking at the whole picture. It's not just looking at the brain. It's looking at the environment. It's looking about who they're who they're around, their community. Um, so I've been loving it. So it's so perfect for me, but we learn a lot about child development and free play. And a lot of it is learning how to interact with others in a free environment with other age groups. And so, and, and things of that nature. And it's incredible to me now, I don't know if it's a Southern California thing, 
but I have very few athletes that play multiple sports and yeah. they're just like single track. It's so structured. And so they're not getting the opportunity at all. And that's where yeah. so much of human development is built is in these free play with other age groups playing a pickup game of this yeah. and that. Yeah. So you don't, yeah, for sure. It's uh, I guess those are some of my getting old, my the old man and me, those are my child fun days, right. In the backyards. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you learned a lot. I think I always kind of say, you know, you, you learned how to compete when you had the older kids around in the neighborhood, you learned how to commute compete. That was the hard part. And you learned how to communicate with them, you know, the Mm -hmm. old, and then when you were the older kid and the younger kid was, you learned to accommodate. Yeah. You know, and like, there was kind of neighborhood equity, like you're not going to throw your, your gas fastball to the kid that's four years younger than you, you know, out in the neighborhood, you know, you you, you did these little things that are like barely observable and minutia, but now they're kind of like, you've noticed when they are gone, when they kind of leave the environment. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think there's a lack of instruction to help bring it back, you know, from sometimes the adults creating the environments. Yeah. I was, again, trying to do some self-reflection on where this came from. We had this in my elementary school, we had this, it was like a walkathon, and basically like whoever walked the most and you would walk during recesses. Okay. Win. And I heard that, like, I was just obsessed with winning and I would spend every recess instead of playing with friends, like a normal child, I would just be speed walking, trying to win. And like, I spent, and I, again, I'm like, where did this come from? Like my parents weren't, it's, it's so interesting to me and we'll take some more, um, like I said, self-reflection, but I don't, this, this obsession with winning was, was very deeply ingrained. Yeah. We didn't have a -a walk-a-thon at recess. Otherwise it probably would have been a little bit like that, but I was like, who can I, who can I beat today at something? (laughs) You know, like what, what can I do? Um, well, one of the things that I wanted to touch on too, because um, I, I think it's one of the things I love to kind of walk through. And I think even as a you know speaker, when you're doing workshops, you know, something I find, you know, beneficial um, is how do you like to introduce in maybe some of your favorite things to teach when it comes to uh, working with uh, imagery and visualization for athletes? Yeah. So I start most workshops with breathing and mindfulness So you've probably heard of the mindfulness exercise, the five senses, where you are, you know, honing in on a physical sensation, something you smell, you hear, you, you know, so you get in tact with all of those or get in touch with all of those. And then I remind the student athletes that when you're doing imagery, all of these senses should be engaged. When I was growing up, I was like, okay, I picture myself scoring a goal, picture myself winning a race. But the real key to imagery is, you know, smelling the fresh cut grass, feeling the sweat dripping down your face, tasting the Gatorade in your mouth, making it as real as possible is going to be the most impactful to enhance performance. So um, I give them tools to do that. And the first session, we'll just do some breathing to lower stress levels. A lot of them have performance anxiety. We'll get into mindfulness. And then the next session, I'll walk them through like a pregame, I'll have all of them close their eyes and be like, okay, we're getting on the bus. We're headed to uh, Anthem prep and and really try to, and I try to get as much details from the coaches so I can make it as realistic as possible. Um, It's a little bit harder when it's a sport that I'm less familiar with. I'm like, hope I'm getting the language. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The language. Correct. 
yeah no it's definitely um no i love all those specific examples i think the you know the smell is often overlooked but when you look at like smell is so powerful and i think i always ask like you remember what your old gym or weight room smelled like it's like oh yeah like still remember that unique odor um and you see more and more nfl guys i've seen lately uh they go for walks on the field without shoes Mm-hmm. they've been like feel the grass and kind of just kind of calming and you know mm-hmm. before they lace up their cleats and a lot of them smell the grass too you know it's just like you know whether it's the turf um those things are powerful um do you um i guess one question i wanted to ask too just in your, in your work you know you talked about kind of the variety of different things you do and um, always getting better with your growth mindset, working towards other things and working with people. Uh, what brings you uh, the most joy in the work that you do? Uh, I love working with high school athletes specifically because it just feels the most impactful and you see them uh, implement right away and have a result. Whereas with older athletes, you know, they have more experience and they're like, oh, well, I got here. What do I need you for? Yeah. So I really like it. Just it's really powerful working with younger athletes. So I love that. But I really love having my hands in lots of things. A huge part of my my MO and the thing that I think sets me apart from a lot of other mental skills coaches is that I do still compete. And I still like walk the talk as an athlete. Like I said, I pretend I'm a pro athlete and this helps me connect with my athletes and stay in the know and build rapport because I'm like, yeah, I mean, in my office, I literally have Norma tech, a heating pad and I'm on calls recovering while I'm, you know, doing meetings. So, um, I, I really live it. And my hope, my goal is to, uh, get a few aligned sponsorships to continue to compete. Cause I, I competitive Chloe over here. I just, I love to compete. It's like as simple as that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I love having, being able to do a little bit of everything. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, two more questions as we wrap up one, uh, get in a time machine and go see teenage Chloe, um, from your experiences and expertise now. Um, what would you want to tell your teenage self what message? Yeah, that's a good question. And I actually do this exercise adjacently uh, with some of my athletes, like looking at a, a confident version of themselves. If that's something they're working through, what would confident yeah. Ava say to this Ava, whatever, whoever. Um, I would say... I really wish I learned how to be present sooner. And that's like, I mean, that's what sports psych is. You can't perform if you're not present. And that's why I do what I do. But I was always living in the future, living to get the scholarship, get to the next thing. Uh, So I really wish I was able to enjoy the moment and be more there rather than somewhere else. Yeah, definitely. Love that. Um, And to close, you know, mindfulness, you know, give, give our listeners a little something to do once they listen to this podcast, but what would be one or two things maybe that we could uh, do today if we're listening or for myself, I will do these, yeah. um, but that we could uh, do to be a bit more mindful today with ourselves, with our teams, with others, what's yeah. something we could do? The first thing I would like to suggest is really focusing on breathing through your nose. So I think a lot of us don't really learn how to breathe 
but we always want to be breathing through our nose because we're filtering the air. When people are mouth breathing, they're usually pretty stressed and you'll notice that. So focus on nose breathing, focus on your belly expanding when you breathe. The perfect ratio, according to the book Breathe, is 5.5 seconds in and 5.5 seconds out. So slowing down those those the breathing uh, is really helpful. Once you're there, I would encourage you to close your eyes and do the five senses exercise. So what that looks like is I would have you close your eyes and I'd have you focus on one physical sensation you can feel, right? So maybe it's uh, the headphone cord on your shoulder, right? And then one thing that you can smell, maybe it, you just cooked breakfast and you can smell that. What's one thing you hear? Maybe there's a fan in the background. What's one thing you see? Maybe you're visualizing something, right? What's one thing you taste? Maybe you just had, took a, had a sip of coffee and letting them go. And then all at once flooding yourself with all five senses. Mm. I call this drugs without drugs. And we have this, <laughs> at, you know, at the, at our, uh, we can use this at any time. And especially for athletes, when life can get kind of redundant, practice, lift, practice, lift, school, et cetera. Right. Yeah. Um, tapping into every moment and again, getting present, is just, you know, the key because it makes you grateful. And that's, you know, that's the biggest stakeholder of mental health. Mm-hmm.